Welcome to the Pottercast, episode number one. I'm Michael Potter. You know, I wanted to do a podcast because as I travel through life, whether it be working in sales or in broadcasting or working with nonprofits, getting to know the classical arts world through my kids who are classical musicians, I have met so many people with amazing stories and just interesting lives, and I thought I'd share some of those with you. So I hope you enjoy this. And for my first episode, The Maiden Voyage, fantastic uh, chat with the president of Grand Canyon University, Brian Mueller. I met Brian Mueller in 2009 when I came back to Grand Canyon University to broadcast basketball and baseball. I've gotten to know him better and better every year since and just amazed by his story, his passion for what he's doing, and just the way he thinks about business and about life. President Mueller was gracious enough to sit down with me in his office, gave me plenty of time. Hope you enjoy this conversation with President Brian Mueller, Grand Canyon University. When you came to GCU, was it 2008? I yes. mean, did you envision this? What What has grown into you? I mean, was it all up there in your brain when, when you came? You know, uh, we, I talked to our students about purpose and about letting their plan for their life unfold. And, and uh, I've kind of had two parts to my life. Uh, growing up, I was in Christian schools, elementary school, high school, college. I wanted to be a Christian high school teacher and a basketball coach. And so when I graduated college, I, I spent seven years in high schools, had a really good high school program. Then I got a small college job, had a real good small college job. So the first half of my life was in Christian higher ed, Christian education. Um, and then I ended up at the Apollo Group, never intended to stay there, but stayed there 22 years and learned some things I would have never learned uh, in a Ph.D. program. How to use the public markets to get access to capital, how to deliver education online. And so when they called in 2008 and said, would you, come, would, you, are you, would, would you be interested in coming over here? At first I said, why would I do that? I spent 22 years here. I got hundreds of friends here. We've had unbelievable success at the university. But then I thought, man, maybe that's been the purpose all along. That if you take the first half of my life, which was in Christian schools, the second half of my life, which was using the public markets to get access to capital, figuring out how to deliver education online, all of that, put those two things together, maybe we can come up with a new financial model for higher education that would make Christian higher education affordable to all socioeconomic classes of Americans and build a powerful ministry out of that. Um, and so did I think we could do this? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> did I think we had a plan to do something pretty good? Yes, but for it to turn out like this, nobody could have predicted that it could have gone this, this far this fast. We've been very fortunate, very blessed. What do you attribute that to? I mean, you were in a great place at Apollo, and a lot of times when, when an opportunity comes by, if you're already in a great place, you just kind of say, no, nope, and pass it on. Well, why did you take that moment and go, you know, let me think this through a little bit? Uh, it was because of the, the first half of my life. You know, when I left, I, I wanted to be a teacher and a coach, uh, and I had a really good program. I loved teaching high school kids. I loved coaching in high school. We had a gr built a great program. We lost in the state finals my last game there. Um, and, and the small college where I went to school noticed and said, would you come out here and run our program, which that got me into the college game. Uh, and uh, we won eight games the first year, then 12, then 21, one game away from going to the NEI National Tournament. So I was kind of on my way, but I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. And so I came to ASU down here to enroll a Ph.D. program uh, at ASU and um, uh, was taking classes, was teaching over there. Uh, was helping Tom Bennett out at Mesa Community College, and all of a sudden I come home one day, and my wife says, I got a surprise, you know, we, we're going to have our fourth child. 
and uh, my life just kind of passed in front of me. Uh, and uh, I just couldn't keep doing what I was doing. I was going to have four children, a wife. We didn't have any money, one broken down old car, no savings. Uh, I wasn't going to make it another two years as a Ph.D. student. And so right. I wandered into University of Phoenix. They felt sorry for me, I think. They hired me, and, uh, and I never intended to stay there. But one thing led to another, and things really started to go. And I thought, but I always felt guilty about leaving that original purpose. But, but then I thought, man, if I could come back, man, it's, it, it, this Christian university is sitting here. They've got this, this, this history of being a Christ-following institution. Maybe we can do something really big here uh, for the kingdom. And... Um, so we did. We resigned on Wednesday, and uh, we're over here Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and went to work. So when they approached you, the folks at Grand Canyon, and they approached you, and you thought it through, and you, you, that vision came through, did, when you told them that, were they like, dude, we just want you to come over and run the university? Or were they like, yeah, let's do that? Well, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of choice because um, higher ed, the, the economic model's broken. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's 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 uh, it's just broken. The cost of living has gone up in this country 100 percent since the early 90s. The cost of higher ed has gone up 400 percent. No other industry would survive with those metrics. Um, it was broken. Uh, kids were taking tuition was too high. Kids were taking out too much debt. Uh, parents were taking on too much debt. Uh, every time, you know, um, tuition goes up, diversity goes down. Mm. And so it, it was a mess. Uh, what I thought we had was a chance to build a financial model that would flip the economics of it and make private Christian higher education as affordable as a state university education would be. And if we could do that, uh, it, it, it would be uh, – now, did they – when I explained all that to them, <laughs> uh, did they believe that we could do that? No. But yeah. they also knew that we had a reputation in the public markets in this country because of the Apollo Group. Yeah. We were the only ones probably that could get that access to those dollars. Yeah. And so they hired me and said, do it, us. A bunch of us came over here. Um, they didn't think this was going to happen. Um, I thought it would happen, but like this? Yeah, this is, this is amazing what's happened here. You, 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 used, you say we a lot, right? And you said us, a group. How important was it to bring a team with you when you started this? Huge, huge. You know, I was at the Apollo Group for 22 years. I started at the bottom recruiting students. And I'm not good at most things in life, but I was really good at that. Um, and that gave me a, a growing reputation. So they said, let's take a chance on him. They sent me to New Mexico to run that campus. Then they sent me to San Diego to run that campus. Those things went really well. And then they called me to come back to Phoenix and said, you know, we think the next big uh, use of the Internet is going to be higher education. We, we'd like you to come back and help us think about that. Well, that thing just mm-hmm. that, that was that, that just thing just exploded. It just it just took off. And so as a result of that, they made me uh, president of Apollo Group. And so I was running um, the whole thing. Um, but um, the what we did there, especially the online part of it, we, we uh, they put me in charge, and and I said, listen, after about six months, if we had access to capital, this thing we we'd blow this thing up. Nobody else thinks you should do it, can do it, and nobody wants to do it. Mm. This whole thing's ours. Yeah, we'll have access to the whole world, and so we went to the public markets, 
with a history teacher as the CEO mm-hmm. uh, and pitched our idea. The public markets bought it. We were investing hundreds of millions of dollars into technology. It was between 1998 and 2006. You know, we grew from a couple students, a couple thousand students to over 200,000 students. Uh, we were building technology. We were hiring 400 people a quarter. We were building out real, it was, it was just an amazing time. And there was 40 or 50 people that were really in the middle of all that. Yeah. We, we have been uh, not just um, colleagues. We become really close friends. You know, the people that are up here and the people that are making this happen, 90% of them are the same people that did that. Um, and so that's, and that's one of the big reasons we were able to do this, too. Um, there's no way I could do this by myself. But people ask me, what's the most gratifying thing about being here? Well, there's lots of them, but one of them is I get to come in here every day and, and, and uh, run this thing with a group of 40 of my closest friends. And we completely trust each other. There's, there's, and that's just an unusual thing to be able to participate in that kind of team environment. Um, but yeah, without those people coming over here, and I tell you, when they first came over, <laughs> they looked at me. Well, you probably remember what it was like around here in, oh, yeah, in yeah. 2008, man. <laughs> there were 900 students on this campus. Yeah. The build, buildings had been short, built shortly after World War II. There was debt. <laughs> there was 33rd Avenue Camelback was a disaster from a crime perspective. They looked at me like, what? What? <laughs> I said, just be patient. It'll work. It'll work. Uh, so, no, that's, that, that's, that's a big part of this story is those, is those people. Yeah, you, you said you were good at recruiting. You recruited them, right? You, you bring them over here and tell them a little bit of a vision. And, of course, they've been working like crazy to make this happen. So they got to be pretty excited, too, about what they're seeing here. Oh, they love it. They absolutely love it. This is yeah. not a job for us. This is not a job for us. This is our passion. This is, what, this is our life. It's what we do. Um, and, um, and so that's a rare privilege to have in life. To be able yeah. to, to be part of that kind of team where you're part of something that people feel so uh, passionate about, so good about, um, that um, it's, a, it's, it's just a, a rare thing to have. You know, you, so twice you've kind of found the market at a place where nobody else wanted to do something. First with the online education, and you guys champion that. And now with combining the, the Christian education with the capital markets and, and trying to make, make it affordable again. Why do you think, like back with the online, why did nobody else see that? Why did nobody else want to do that? Was it the old old school, no, that's not good education? Like why was nobody else trying to get that accomplished? Because now everybody's doing it. In, in, you know, it's like a lot of industries. Uh, it was a mature industry. And there were sacred cows. And, and the sacred cows became part of the culture. And that's how you earned your rankings. Uh, you know, uh, the tenure track professorship, which is, you know, not always helpful to students. Um, th- there were a lot of sacred cows in higher ed that have grown up over the course of 100 years that were really not helpful for students, families, and the economy. Uh, when you come to a place like this, which was almost shut down, uh, which was nearly closed, um, you don't get much resistance. <laughs> right. uh, and a lot of the resistance came from, from faculty who just didn't want their gig changed. They wanted it protected at all costs. So you come here, and I said, listen, you know, 
Our choice is close the place or really think differently. And what I said to the faculty is, I, you know, I think there's probably three things that you guys are interested in. Number one, you want a stable job. Uh, number two, you want to teach really good students. And number three, you want to teach in world-class laboratories, classrooms, research facilities, etc. If you'll go through these changes with us, if you'll trust us and go through these changes, those three things are what we're trying to get. And if you talk to those people today, they would say they weren't happy at that time. They didn't see it. They didn't believe in it, but they are as happy as you could possibly be now because yeah. I think we've got the strongest student body in the state of Arizona. Uh, I, we, we've got the seventh-ranked campus in the country. The classrooms, the laboratories, the research facilities are brand new. Uh, we got really high-quality kids from an academic and character perspective. Um, and then all of the things that made traditional higher ed, part of them are sacred cows, but that make it traditional where other universities are struggling with those things, we're flourishing with those mm. things. Music, theater, dance, debate, the largest intramural program in the country, the largest club, pro, uh, club sports program yeah. in the country. Those things that other people are pulling back from so kids don't get the total college experience, they're flourishing here. Yeah. How important was that to you? You just mentioned the total college experience. I've been really impressed because I've been around the university uh, for a number of years, seeing this this transformation. I've been really impressed with you and your team how important it is that the students get a great experience. Like it's very student focused. You know, it's it's uh yeah yeah it is and and uh, um the we came up with a, a financial model that that was a win 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 deal. Um, we went to the investors and we pitched an idea. Uh, and these are some of the smartest people in the country. Uh, Ivy League educated, very successful. A Christian university in 33rd Avenue Camelback in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, uh, they didn't buy all the elements of it, mm -hmm. uh, but they had been. We, they had made. They had done really well at Apollo. Mm -hmm. And so we got the stock out at 12 bucks. That gave us $254 million. We brought that back to Phoenix. The idea was to build a hybrid campus. Uh, first, we converted the curriculum so we could deliver it online to working adults. We did that at Phoenix. We knew how to do it. Put $100 million into technology. Those programs, 8, 9, and 10, really grew. Really grew. Very profitable. So now 2011 comes, and we said we need a hybrid campus. We want a very large student body of traditional students having a traditional university experience and, uh, and, and an online student body. Those two student bodies leveraging a common infrastructure, we believed would completely flip the economics. We didn't know it would turn out this good, but we believed it would flip the economics. Well, things started happening on the campus. And we put $1.5 billion into it in the last seven, eight years. We're going to put another $500 million in the next four or five years. Um, and uh, the thing worked so well that not only were we able to build this campus out and create all this infrastructure for students, we were able to do it with our cash reserves and didn't have to raise tuition one year. We haven't raised tuition for 13 years. Yeah. Um, and so... People said, well, why are you investing in this campus? Why don't you just grow the online thing and put the cash away? Because ultimately, uh, the online students, which is a very competitive market, um, they want to be tied to something exciting like this. 
uh, permanent like this. They know it's going to be here forever. And so why do I want to get to the Final Four? <laughs> because all those students out there that attend this university online are going to be, that's, my instit- that's the university I go to. And so the, the two things work together really well. Um, and, uh, and, and so, but ultimately, the brand of the institution uh, will be tied to the excellence of this thing in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and as it grows to 40,000 students, and as we're graduating seven, 8,000 students a year on this campus, putting them into the marketplace, engineering and computer science and information technology and business and and all of that employers will see a difference mm-hmm. right um and and people are rec- people ask me all the time you know i come on campus and i walk through and your students seem happy they seem nice they hold the door open uh they're cordial uh there's an incredible spirit around here how'd you do that and that is when the Christian testimony becomes very powerful. I can't do that. I mm-hmm. can't create that. But the power of the Spirit indwelling in 23,000 students produces a culture that you can't produce without that. Even what happens at our basketball games is partly that. Mm-hmm. Where, where are you, what are your numbers right now? I mean, I'll say right now because it's changing, going up, even in this time, crazy time. Where, where are you guys at right now? Well, we're at 23,000 students on the campus, and, and we're gonna, we'll be at uh, probably 25,500 next fall, and it will grow to 40,000. Um, we're at about 300 acres. We have 400, another 100 acres to get, uh, and we can, believe, easily put 40,000 students on 400 acres. University of Southern California has uh, about 40,000 students on 300 acres. Big difference is we have a lot more students living on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, our online campus has grown to 90,000 students, and it'll, it'll grow to 150,000 students, while the ground campus has grown to 40,000 students. Um, we're now at nine colleges, 270 academic programs. We roll out 20 new academic programs on an annual basis. Big thing for us is understanding where's the economy going, where the jobs are going to be, create programs that help people access those jobs, whether working adults or traditional students on our campus. We now have 15 advisory boards with over 500 businesses on those advisory boards. Why do those people show up and help us when we're not paying them? Hmm. They love the spirit of the university. They want to be part of it, but they want access to our graduates. Um, and, and, uh, and so we're developing that reputation in Arizona and in the Southwest, uh, which is going to be a transformative kind of uh, reputation. Now, you mentioned um, club sports, intramurals, and the Division One athletics program. Where does that fit into everything? When you first came over here, was that, was that like, man, this is important. we got to get this D1 uh, programs, athletics, as to be a part of our, what our vision is moving forward? Well, one of the things we wanted to do is, is, is really change the culture of, of, a, of a university campus. Um, you know, we have 18, 19 year old students and they do stupid things sometimes. They're 18 and 19 year olds. Sure. But, but we wanted to make it a very participative campus. Uh, I, I wanted the largest club sports program in the country. I tell kids at every orientation, if you've been playing baseball since you were five years old, don't give that up. You can play a 25 game schedule. You can get good coaching. You're going to play on good fields. Uh, you're going to make friends play for four years. Baseball, basketball, uh, volleyball, uh, 
Um, and, and so we wanted that, and, and that's happened. And, and it, it adds to kids' experience, intramurals. Um, it's where you meet people. It's where you, um, yeah. we've got 700 kids in music and theater and dance for the best debate teams in the country here. And so, yes, all of that is important to just uh, to having a college experience. Division One athletics, we wanted it to be really good. We've got 21 sports. Our goal is to be in the top 25 in everything. People say that's audacious, but we're going to do that. Um, but we want our student body to feel like they're part of it. We don't want them to feel like that's over there. And we're no, we, we so we we've built these residence halls. We don't have an athletic dorm. Our kids live out in the residence halls with everybody else. They eat in the same places. Um, a big part of what I tell our Division One coaches is let the club sports use your facilities. You know, when you're on the when you're on the road uh, on a baseball trip, use let the club teams play a game or two mm-hmm. in our state of the art baseball stadium. You'll build loyalty. You know, make their whole entire semester. Hmm. You know, I, I tell the the coaches, show up at the intramural championship game. Show, show up at the club championship game. And if you can ever find a kid that you can bring up as a walk-on, you just tie yourself closer and closer <laughs> to the student body. Right. People say, why do these kids line up at 6 in the morning for a midnight madness that doesn't start till 11 at night? Because they feel like it's not just their deal. that It's their deal, too. The, the Havocs. Uh, we were gonna. Somebody wanted to invest, invest us, us to invest in a half a million special light show uh, in our arena. Mm-hmm. I looked at it and I said, "The show is the Havocs. <laughs> That's the show. Yeah, the cheerleaders, the dance team. Those guys are great. Our band's unbelievable. They they exist just to push the Havocs to a new level. Um, but the Havocs feel like." Um, it, it's it's they're not an afterthought they're part of the action they're part of the show they're actually part of the team mm-hmm. um and so when attendance with student body attendance is going down everywhere in the country it's exploding here but it's that sense of community that has made this a different place if i line up 10 kids and i say listen why are you here and what do you like best about the university Nine out of ten will say it's the community, it's the it's the caring, it's the kindness, it's the belonging that makes this place what it is. Um, so that's why those things were all important to us. Yeah, you seem too to have a, yourself, your 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 um, top executives. You guys are all very visible around campus as well. Like there's a lot of other places that's not the case. You never see the the president or the VPs and things like that. But you guys are out everywhere all the time. We're we're privileged to be here. You know, I mean, we we I'm not. That's not a trite saying. We we really are. I don't have a typical president's background. I never I never intended to be a university president. I never intended to be the CEO of a company. Um, that uh, that happened. I don't know how it happened really. But um, I uh, I'm almost still you know a high school teacher, a small college basketball coach. Um, and so the, the biggest fun I get is from being out there. Um, I ran into a student the other day who uh, she, she came up while I was walking and she said, you know, I've been here for three and a half years. I love this place. I just wanted to say thank you. And I said, well, who are you? What, what you, you know, where are you from? What's your major? She said, well, I was a, a pre-med biology major, but I've decided I don't want to be a doctor. And so I'm really stuck right now. I'm not sure what to do. And I said, well, 
she said, I'd love to stay around here. So I said, well, come up and see me. And, and she did just last week, Thursday. And I said, well, tell me what you'd like to do. And uh, she told me, and I said, I got to tell you that uh, the best training I ever got for leadership was being a high school teacher. Hmm. When you have to get up in front of kids six times a day, 30 kids every single day, you you got to be able to communicate. You got to be able to entertain. You got to be able to, 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 to motivate. 16-year-old kids are going to tell you what they think if you're not any good. <laughs> right. I really believe that right. was where I learned public speaking, leading. So I said to her, have you ever thought about being a teacher? She said, yeah, I have, but I'm not credentialed. I said, if you are a pre-med major biology yeah. in our honors college with a 4.0 GPA, I guarantee you in one call I can get you a job. So she left, and I called uh, Empower College Prep. The guy who runs it's a good friend of mine. He said, I, I've got a biology teacher who's a GCU grad from three years ago. She's getting married. She's got to move on. I don't know where I'm going to get another one. <laughs> so I sent her over here. I sent her over there the next day, and I think she's going to start there. But being with kids, being able to help them figure out what they're going to do, navigate this environment, because for our graduates this year, this is going to be a tough environment oh, yeah. because of the pandemic the unemployment situation but but that's you know we we uh yeah people say well what, what do you like to do in your spare time so i love to go to gcu events um it's uh you know in this campus think about it in yeah. the spring to go out there and watch baseball to go out there and watch softball oh, it's and, the best right yeah it's the best yeah you don't seem like you're slowing down at all what do what the next five ten years have in store for you yeah i i i, I uh Hope so. You know that when we when we did the transition and we have GCE as a as the service company and GCU as a nonprofit institution, um, the boards asked if I would do both, and uh, said yeah. And then they said, and we want you to sign a five year contract. Um, I said I'll sign anything you want. I'm hope I hope I can be for for another ten years. Um, it's it's very energizing to be in this place at this time. Uh, around our faculty, and I can't tell you uh, the job our faculty did this semester during the pandemic. Um, it was an incredible uh, adaptation that they made and the commitment that they made to teach kids in the classroom, in the laboratories. Um, and uh, so to be around them, to be around uh, you know everybody up here, to be around the students, um, you know, obviously it's a lot of work, it's a lot of stress, it's a lot of pressure, uh, but but it's kind of like being a parent, right? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of yeah. pressure in that, but the, the, the other side of it balances it in a way that you don't feel it. Yeah. And that's kind of what this is for us. You kind of feel like you have 23,000 kids running around and 90,000 kids throughout the, throughout the world? <laughs> <laughs> you know... Yeah, the 90,000 working adults, they, you know, they, they don't need to be socialized. They, we need to give them the best academic experience we can give them. And, um, yeah. and so, but yeah, you know, um, the, the uh, more than, you know, people say, well, isn't this thing going the way of technology? And I said, listen, technology is going to become a bigger and bigger part of it. But if the pandemic has shown us anything, kids still need this. They, they, yeah. they can benefit from these three or four years on a campus like this with teachers who are mentors, with friends who are building them a network. To have this experience, it just can't be at ridiculous amounts so they go $200,000 in debt. There is no limit to mm -hmm. uh, 
the growth of this thing um, because kids need it. It just needs to be affordable. Yeah, yeah. Hey, last couple of questions. Thanks so much for the time. Obviously, uh, your love for basketball goes all the way back to 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 the coaching. By far, your favorite sport, basketball. Uh, you know, I I grew up playing baseball and basketball, but you know, I was like a lot of people. You know, I had to curse. I had to curse. I loved sports. Yeah. I was I I could practice, and, and so I played baseball and basketball all the way till you know past thirty years old. Um, uh, high school, small college. You know, I wasn't good enough to play at a place like this, but I had to curse. I loved it, but I just didn't have the size, speed, and strength to do it <laughs> at, at a high level. I'm with you, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of us. Yeah. There, there's a lot of us out there like that. But um, love baseball. I love baseball. Love love softball. Um, love basketball. Um, but I, you know, I enjoy being around around all of it. Um, I just think it's such a healthy thing. There's so much that kids can learn and be taught through this whole thing. Yeah. Um, we're in a kind of me first era, a me too era, you know, not that me too, but, um, you know, right, me, yeah. me first. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, and we'll just watch our basketball team. You're, you're, you're watching our yep. men's team. Um, the spirit on that team right now, the camaraderie, the togetherness, what they're learning really is that, you know, we do all these things in life. Uh, you know, we have jobs and we go to school and, and, and all these things that we do. But at the end of the day, it's relationships. It, it's, it's relationships. And that they're learning that. You know, uh, uh, for example, uh, Andy's team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing to watch. If you go out there um, on a day that they're practicing, almost every day, there's going to be six or seven former players mm-hmm. and they're going to be in the batting cages and they're going to be helping out in the outfield. They're just going to be hanging around. Uh, they are so tied to that coaching staff and to this university and to that program. Uh, they have built relationships that will last a lifetime. When I was a high school coach at Denver Lutheran High School and uh, my first year as head coach, we won 15 games and then 18. And then we had that team that won the first game, lost the second game, won 25 in a row. Uh, 24 in a row uh, to finish with 25 wins we lost in the state finals um, I still know all those kids hmm. and they're sending their kids to Grand Canyon not just the basketball players but the rest of the kids in that school there's probably 30 kids in that school who I know now uh, as adults with their own careers their own families because their children are here and you don't get that in a lot of occupations yeah uh, which is when kids talk to me about teaching as a profession I, I said you know you're going to get things out of that that you won't get out of other professions. It's, it's those lifelong relationships that are intergenerational. And uh, if I could tell you one more story. Yeah, I went absolutely. To, I went to uh, Washington, D.C. over a year ago, and I was going to meet with the Department of Education and our two uh, U.S. senators from, from Arizona. And so I, I called on Martha McSally first, and uh, there was a girl that met us at the door. I could tell she wanted to talk, and she was a GCU grad the prior year. I remembered her when she said that because she had gotten a year-long internship at the White House, and she had turned that into uh, a uh, full-time job working for Senator McSally at the time. And so after our meeting, she walked us to, to, to Senator Sinema's office, and I said, okay, tell me your story. And she said, I, I, believe it or not, I, w- I grew up in Northwest Phoenix and went to Northwest Christian High School. 
And when I graduated, I was a valedictorian. I had narrowed my choices to two. I was going to go to Stanford or I was going to go to Grand Canyon. She was offered a very good scholarship at Stanford. She chose Grand Canyon. And so I said, I got I to ask you why. That was a tremendous opportunity that you bypassed. She said, yeah, but my friends, they went to college and they took classes and they met people and they had a good time. She said, but I joined a community that I will be a part of forever. She said, I love my job in Washington and I'm learning a lot, but I can't wait to get back to Phoenix to rejoin that community. Um, and so uh, it's that, it's that. Kids telling you that, that, that makes you wanna just keep, keep working at it and keep, keep moving. Um, now, thank you, President Mueller, for the time. We've gone about about half an hour, so that's a great story to end on. But uh, it's infectious what you're doing here, and your excitement still still being with it after all these years. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, it's good to be here, and, and thank you for doing this.